0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast, the weekly podcast dedicated to conversations on faith and culture. This week, we have another interview for you from Mona. She interviews Kayla Michelle, a fitness coach who has had an amazing story of accepting who she is as a woman and her issues with body image and how she's overcome them and how she's helping others do the same If you have any feedback for this particular episode, you can do that at irenicast.com slash 57, or as usual, if you have feedback for the show in general, you can do that at irenicast.com slash feedback, and there you can see all the ways to get a hold of us. We are always welcoming your questions, comments, concerns, and suggestions for topics for the show. So without any further ado, here is Mona's interview with Kayla Michelle.
1: Everyone, this is Mona. Welcome to another episode of IrenaCast. I am excited today to introduce you to one of my friends, Kayla, who is an ex-runway model and current fitness entrepreneur who is a health coach and promotes body positivity and recovering from disordered eating. Hi Kayla, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm really good. It is such an honor to have you today and I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. So, mm, me too. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you, Kayla, to begin with just telling your story. Um, it's a great story, and I think our listeners will really benefit from hearing it. So I understand that you have a long history with with body image, which is the topic of this interview.
0: Yes, um, it started pretty innocently enough. I've I've been really active my whole life. My I followed in my mama's footsteps and started ballet when I was three. And loved it. Was a dancer for 16 years. So I've always been very in touch with my body. And um, as I grew up, you know, through, through the teenage years, um, became in touch with my sensuality thanks to dance. And it was a very empowering uh, experience overall. And then when I turned 16, I had an amazing opportunity with Ford Models, who's a huge agency in the fashion modeling world. They signed me at 16 and I started an incredible journey as a runway model, San Francisco, LA, and then I ended up living in New York for um, the last year of my career. Again, started innocently enough. Like I had some really amazing opportunities with different designers and I walked for fashion weeks. I got to travel and meet incredible people and learn a lot about myself and just the world. And Uh, Don't have any regrets with that. But by the time I made it to New York City, which was my dream, I started living in Manhattan and going to castings and just wanted to really go after this career as as a model. The pressures of the industry completely overwhelmed me. I was 18 at the time that I moved to New York City and I'd already been feeling a lot of pressure from my agencies at the time to be smaller, be tinier, lose weight, get rid of your hips, you know, different different things. And and I was a young woman at that point. I'd always been very athletic. My body was developing, you know, I was a late bloomer, but my body was developing at 18 into a young woman and I was up against girls that were 13 and 14 at castings who You know, weren't developing yet, or were barely developing. So, it just uh, the the competitive side of it among you know between the women, between the girls uh, in the fashion industry was incredibly uh, jarring to me because I'd always been in a situation with dance where we celebrated each other, and it was art through movement and being in touch with and empowered with our bodies and what our bodies were able to do, not necessarily what our bodies looked like. Mm -hmm. So it was a very different focus and it was um, kind of a little bit of a shell shock to me to kind of get thrown into that. On top of that, I, I was alone. I mean, I had roommates and things and I was constantly, my mom and my parents, my sister were all very, very supportive, but I was alone living in New York. So it's just different. Your first time really without that support structure to lean on, I lost my way. And I, and I, I sort of succumbed to the pressures of what my agents were telling me to do in order to change my body. So they would tell me, you know, the Victoria's Secret girls, they go on this type of diet before they do their show, or they go on this type of diet before they do a, a casting or a fo- photo shoot. So I'd have like three days at a time before big castings or photos when I'd go on a benefiber and water purge and just not eat for three days and after the photo shoot or after the casting, whatever the goal was that I was going to get through by starving myself, I would then binge and it was this sick cycle over and over again i I identify myself as as I was an anorexic, I struggled with anorexia and a binge purge cycle. I remember being so afraid of everything. I lost sight of myself and um, I lost my power as a young woman. I lost my drive and my motivation. Like I remember there were days when I just, I couldn't get out of bed. I I was so depressed and I had no energy. I, I didn't have any strength left. And so a turning point for me, I realized what I was doing to myself was I was coming back home, um, To the Upper West Side from Castings in Midtown, and I was on the subway. I woke up in Harlem. So at some point between Midtown and when I was supposed to get off the subway line, I had blacked out, and I woke up. Yeah, I woke up in Harlem, and I just I was disoriented. But I remember my first feeling was I was angry with myself. I was like, "Wait a minute! I just put myself in this." such a compromised position where anything could have happened to me. Like, you know, thank my, my guardian angels that nothing bad happened to me at that point, but anything could have happened to me. I could have been taken advantage of, I could have been, you know, whatever. So I was angry with myself that I'd let, I'd let this happen. And then I realized it happened because I wasn't taking care of myself on a fundamental, basic you know, life force level. I wasn't feeding myself. I didn't have any fuel. So that was kind of my turning, my turning point. And, you know, on top of this, I was also struggling with, uh, I was getting sick a lot and I was having uh, really debilitating migraines. My body was just revolting against what I was doing to it and the lifestyle that I was living. And so I decided through um, some support with my family that I was going to educate myself. That was going to be my first step is I I was always self-educated. I grew up homeschooled. And so I decided that I needed to go back to my roots and educate myself on what my body actually needed fundamentally to not only operate in a healthy way, but to change my body because I was tired of being weak. I was tired of, you know, I didn't, I didn't like my body the way that the industry had kind of demanded I make it look. I didn't like looking emaciated and weak. I've, I've, I looked weak. I was tiny. I'm six feet tall and I was 110 pounds. So I was oh very tiny. Yeah, Yeah. I was very tiny and very weak. My first step towards educating myself was just a basic uh, nutrition certification like a lot of health and fitness pros start out with. And with that, I also learned a lot about working out and, and different exercises and ways to put exercises together to work your body. So on a preschool level, I just started educating myself about this process and ended up coming home for a Christmas vacation. And while I was home, going over a lot of that material and just realizing how irresponsible I had been, I just knew in my heart of hearts that I was not meant to go back to New York. And in one sense, it broke my heart because it was my dream But in another sense, I knew that I was not strong enough mentally and emotionally to put myself back in that position so quickly when I had just barely started learning the right way to do things to get myself healthy. And so I decided to just remove myself from the industry and take a complete career change. And at the time, I didn't know that that move would mean a career change into into the fitness industry. I thought I was going to go back to school and be a dentist, but through divine intervention, I ended up with um, an amazing opportunity at a gym to be a trainer, and then I got promoted to head trainer. And I moved around a little bit, and now I'm I'm my own business, on my own, I'm my own entrepreneurial spirit, and it's been an, an incredible process. Now I'm sitting at 35 pounds heavier than I was in New York, and. It's hilarious to me because I can wear a lot of the same size clothes that I wore in New York. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm 35 pounds heavier. And uh, it's just, it's amazingly uh, empowering to realize how capable our bodies are as women. Not only are they resilient, but what you are capable of as a woman when you put your mind to something. I was so hungry For my recovery at the point when I decided to not go back to New York, I was so adamant about it. I knew that I was not okay with the standard of beauty that was being pushed on us as models. And then, as models, you're put up on this pedestal in society. Celebrities are the same way. You know, your bodies are put up as these objects to be coveted and lusted after and admired and. I did not want to be the kind of role model to young girls looking at my photo in a magazine or on a runway as a walking hanger for clothing Mm. where, you know, I exemplified this picture of beauty that was unhealthy. I didn't want to be that to Mm. young girls and other women. So I was just like, you know, no, I just said, no, I'm like, I'm not, this is not who I am. This is not what I stand for. And I'm going to make a change. So. I did. And uh, it was the best decision I've ever made by far.
1: That's incredible. And and knowing you now, you're so you're like, can, can I say like ripped out of your mind, like in a the best possible way. <laughs> I follow you Thank on Instagram. You. I see it. Yeah, yeah you're, you're just it's amazing because you say 35 pounds heavier. That's like solid muscle. And I understand you've done some yeah. competing, right?
0: Correct. It's considered bodybuilding. But what I do is um, bikini fitness. So I'm a NPC bikini athlete and the bikini division in bodybuilding is the most feminine division. So it's the least intimidating to women. It's a lot like, if you ask anybody in the know about the industry, the bikini girls like I am are basically Victoria's Secret models with more muscle. Wow. So it's just like, it's putting sexy curves in all the right places and you're strong and you're eating like, oh my gosh let's put this in perspective. When I was a runway model trying to be a Victoria's Secret model, I was eating three to 600 calories a day. Like I wow. would cut grapes in half because there were too many calories wow. in one. Drink. It was ridiculous. Okay. So from there, that gives you a perspective of my illness to now when when I'm training um, for maintenance mode, I'm at like 2,300, 2,500 calories. When I'm in put on muscle mode. It's more than that. And when I'm in like right now, I'm one week out from my first show of this year, I'm at 18 to 1900 calories. Okay. And that's going to jump up the second I step off stage because I don't want to lose too much weight. I don't want to lose too much muscle. So there's some perspective of how different, like I'm eating so much food now and it's amazing and I'm not afraid of it anymore. There's so much freedom to just enjoy life and be strong and. Um, celebrate foods and yeah it's amazing so
1: that's so interesting and awesome to see a, a journey from like fear to celebration it's just miles yeah. apart from each other and I think as someone who you know like you said you're you danced and then you modeled and now you're into fitness and even competitive fitness I think you out of most people I know have thought about your like what it means to have a body and cultivate a body and more than most people I know is could you yeah. talk more about what that means for you to have a body and, and actually be a performer? Or and- Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a little bit unique because, you know, in our – I feel like in our society, in our world, at least in a Western westernized culture that we live in, the body – okay, let's talk women specifically. The female physique is objectified as a sexual – object to be obtained. It breaks my heart to even say that because I've felt that on more than more than one occasion. And I know that most of us, if not all of us women have felt that way, but a lot of times it's just so subliminal that we we don't even notice it. And a lot of times we subject ourselves to it because we're not even aware of it. So my transformation process has been, yes, absolutely such a change physically that you can see, but it's been such a mental and emotional change too on how I view my own body, how I treat my own body in my thought patterns, the way that I treat it, you know, in activities in the gym and the way that I feed it, as well as like even the way I dress it. It's so funny how I how it's become different over time. Like what I remember when I first first started working out like the, the place right before I started seeking recovery, I was obsessive over working out because I hated my body and I was a cardio bunny. So I would run to the gym from my apartment in New York and then I would get on the treadmill and then I would sit on the floor and do crunches for an hour because I thought that was going to somehow give me a smaller waist. So from going from that really negative headspace of punishing myself physically And then the binge purge cycle is a punishment cycle. It is a self-harm cycle. Going from that place to this, this place of empowerment and freedom, I am just, number one, so, so grateful that I've been able to go through this journey because I am so passionate about speaking into women's lives and hearts to empower themselves. Because now I'm in this place where I train, I go to the gym, I work out because I love My body. And it's not this like I'm self worshiping myself obsession. Like a lot of people, a lot of people see my sweaty selfies on Instagram and Facebook and they're like, oh my God, this girl is obsessed with herself. No, I'm celebrating a transformation and I'm trying, I hope, inspiring other women and other girls out there to celebrate themselves and their accomplishments. And if that's in the gym, awesome. If that's in the workplace, awesome. If that's in your relationships, Awesome. You know, we all have that area that, you know, we need to find more empowerment and more strength in. So mine has just been a really, really physical transform- transformation that, you know, can kind of show what's been going on internally. But I think as a competitor, I've grown up in a pretty performance oriented environment my whole life. So, you know, from being a dancer and going on stage multiple times a year, I just love performing. So I, I don't have any uh reservations about being on stage and that and that sort of thing. I don't have any insecurities about that. So for me, like doing something like a bikini uh fitness competition is really second nature to me because it's it's one other way, it's one other platform um for me to inspire. And it's also another way for me to hold myself accountable. It's it's like training for a marathon. You know, you have a goal, you have an end date, you have a a training program to get you to that goal. The fitness competitions are just my my way of holding myself accountable and giving myself a challenge to achieve because I I thrive off of challenge. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it does
1: um, yeah. And it's awesome that you know yourself. That's it's just beautiful to hear you explain it like that. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm still thinking about you know the idea of empowerment and how you said earlier you know we live in a society that objectifies women, and I completely agree with you. And I'd love to talk more about that. But I'm you know I'm I'm thinking about that and in relation to what you talked about, about punishing and how we punish ourselves. Yeah. And I think there's many different facets of that. Um, yeah. you know, I didn't grow up performing or dancing competitively or anything like that, but I still find myself thinking very negative thoughts about myself. And, um, sure. and so I think it seems like we're as women are taught and, and maybe other You know, genders as well, but women are taught that their bodies don't belong to them and their bodies are really intended to be for the pleasure and the purpose of another person instead of our own. And so it's very like, it's a strange concept for a lot of us to think about. You know, no, my body is for me, and it's for me to love and to have a positive relationship with, and not just a positive relationship. But I need to be proud at the end of the day of how I treat myself and myself. My outside should match the inside beauty of you know me, and that's okay. You know, for a lot of us who are raised in like conservative environments, it's it can seem very selfish to develop and cultivate a positive relationship with your body.
0: Oh, totally, and I, I have heard that on multiple occasions. Um, It's, it's astonishing to me how, um, and I think it comes out of a place of fear, but it's astonishing to me, the messages I get from women, you know, for every 10 positive messages I get from women who are telling me about their journeys and, um, you know, asking me for advice or help, or just thanking me for inspiring them somehow through something that I said, which just always, amazes me and I feel so privileged. For every 10 of those, I'm getting, you know, one or two messages that are just hate mail. And it's astonishing to me that women can be so spiteful against someone else's confidence. You know, how we can, we, we don't even see it in ourselves. You know, I don't think that these, these girls that are messaging me this way, but when you're contacting me and saying, you know, get over yourself you know, there's people starving in Africa and all you do is talk about how you starved yourself. You're missing the whole point, And that just breaks my heart because it's coming out of such a place of negativity and insecurity. And, and now that now I know that, like when I first started my journey, I didn't know that. So when I got messages once in a while like that, I was sort of really torn up about it because I, I cared what people thought about me. I cared too much. I cared what kind of image I was putting off and I didn't want to offend anybody. And it was this whole still bending over backwards for, you know, the, the, the people pleaser in me. And um, now I look at that and I'm just sad and it breaks my heart for them because I know that if they, if they can be that critical of me, someone that they don't even know that they don't even have to watch online, how critical are they being of themselves when they see themselves in the mirror every single morning? How critical are they being of themselves and how mean are, how mean is their self-talk? Like that, that's what breaks my heart. And now I'm in the place where I can see that about women around me. And, um, I want the freedom for them from that, that they're living in that insecurity, that place of fear that I used to be in. I want that for them so much more than I want to send them some message back saying, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't help to like argue back with, with that no because hatred is hatred is like you said, it's, we internalize it and we put it, we project it onto others. You know, it's, um, it's a horrible way to live. And I don't think that it's largely women's fault. I mean, it's our fault for not resisting it, but I think, I think generally culturally that hatred is, is conditioned within us, you know, from a very young age and it's very hard to escape once you've learned that pattern of being, of being in the world.
0: I agree. And it comes, it comes back to, um, your original question that I was kind of rambling about. I'm sorry, but it, where it's, you know, we're objectified as women in society and, our power is taken from us in a lot of ways. Like we can go a lot of different places with that line of, line of thought. But I think that like you're mentioning, we're conditioned through worldviews and, and culture and society of there's this standard of beauty and it is equivalent to your desirability sexually. Like the common sense answer for, or the, the, the common sense jump in, in thought process for women when I, when I talk to them and I can see it in myself in the past is your value as a woman, it's directly correlated to sexuality and sexuality is not the same thing as sensuality.
1: Hmm. Right.
0: So I want to make that, that. Yeah. Um, can
1: you say a little bit more about that?
0: So that to me, sensuality is something that you can experience and celebrate within yourself without anyone else involved, right? And it's this feeling of empowerment. It's this feeling of, or it's this confidence that you can have in yourself. It's not arrogance. It's just a quiet confidence about who you are. You know who you are on a deep level. You accept who you are. Um,
1: enjoying being alive and celebrating. Yeah,
0: exactly. The fact that you can feel
1: and experience the world in all of your, in all of your person
0: Exactly. Yeah. Sensuality doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with sexuality. It can be sensual to curl up with a coffee cup. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. For yourself, for yourself to just connect with yourself. And I think that that gets skipped over with women um, and young girls. Like, you know, there's sex education in school and in um, even a lot of churches and, and religions, but there's not this cultivation of femininity with empowerment and strength that prepares girls for a healthy perspective on themselves, sensually and sexually. And that's where a lot of body image issues comes from, I think, because we let, as young women, we let culture, other women, uh, boyfriends, husbands, fathers, father figures, we let them dictate to us what makes us desirable, what makes us attractive. And then when we get the feedback from external sources like them saying, you're hot, you're pretty, you're sexy, I desire you, whatever it is, then we feel good about ourselves. Mm. But then when that when that uh, external acceptance or praise goes away, our confidence goes away. We don't know we don't know within ourselves that we are beautiful exactly the way that we are because we don't accept ourselves exactly the way that we are. Or we don't know how to change what we don't like about ourselves, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So if we base it on something faulty and fickle, it's always it's never gonna be within our ability to hang on to it.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not coming from an intrinsic place. Mm. I mean, think about it in a really basic way. It's not natural for us to, you know, how many women do you know who take themselves out on a romantic dinner and they just read a book.
1: I tried that once or twice and it was so uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. But, but see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Like, we don't know how to romance ourselves.
1: As yeah. Women. And keep our own company and, and enjoy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly. And yeah. that's where, you know, when we're seeking praise or we're seeking affirmation from men or, um, or other women in our lives that we look up to, or we idolize or society when we're seeking praise from them and then we don't get it. That's where these, these real deep issues start getting rooted.
1: Interesting.
0: I feel, and, and there's, yeah, and there's a lot of different ways to, you know, there's a lot of different tracks to go off of from there, but I, I just feel like in general, the objectification of, of women and young girls, It's a trav it's just a travesty and it's affecting it's affecting us on a chemical level, it's affecting us on a psychological level, subconsciously, to where we don't even realize that we're not good at being alone. Like the girl we all got the girlfriend that's like never single, right? Yeah. And 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 we kind of joke about it, but really, is it that she chooses to never be single and she just has like a line of men waiting out the door for when she is single so that she can jump into another relationship? Or is it that she's afraid of being alone or she doesn't know how to be alone or she thinks that she's not worth anything if she's alone because she needs that affirmation from a man, Hmm. you know? So there's all these different, um, these different patterns that we build within ourselves as women to protect ourselves from hurt, to protect ourselves from feeling undesirable. None of that feels good. None of us want to feel undesirable. None of us want to feel unsexy or not beautiful, but we don't know what to do with those feelings to transform them into empowerment and self-love and celebration of your health on whatever level that means to you. Like I by no means preach, you have to be a bikini competitor or you have to be a fitness model or look like one of us in order to be healthy. Absolutely not. Half the bikini girls I know aren't healthy at all.
1: Mm.
0: So it's, it's such a, it's such a different journey for everybody. Mine just so happens to be the way that I've explained it. But for someone else, like for you, it would look completely different. And that's the, Beauty. That's the beauty about it is that everybody's journey is different and everybody's story is different. And we need to celebrate that within ourselves and with each other.
1: Yeah. And I think if exercising beauty is something that brings you joy, then awesome. But I uh-huh. in, in a different light. I, I love what you're saying about being alone and accepting yourself first before anybody else. Because um, I recently read this quote that really kind of caught me off guard. It was so it was so revolutionary to what I've heard a lot of my life. It was something to the effect of um, you don't owe anyone to be pretty. You don't owe beauty to anyone. Pretty is not the rent that you pay to occupy the space in the world that's designated as feminine. And I oh, was I like, holy that's... crap, right? Uh... Holy crap. I mean, my whole <laughs> life, of, you know, if, mind if you, it's totally mind-blowing. I don't have to occupy that if I don't feel like it? If if I have a day where I don't feel like exhibiting beauty in any sense, even in my own sense, if I just want to be a person and not think about it, I have that right as a human being. And for those who are listening who aren't familiar with that line of reasoning, think about how all-encompassing that pressure must be to be beautiful and to exhibit beauty all the time and how exhausting that is.
0: Oh, so exhausting. That's a perfect word for it. It is all-consuming and exhausting. Like If you look at the billions that are spent in the advertising industry on beauty regimens and products, supplements, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. Yeah, And the and
1: marketing of those things are like the underlying message is almost always you are not enough. So you need this thing that yes. we're selling. That's the base yes. of it. And it's gross.
0: I know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So
1: something you said earlier was really interesting to me. And I want to go back to that for a sec. You talked about how society doesn't want, you said something like, if you can remind me, society doesn't want women to be empowered. And I'm thinking a lot (laughs) about, (laughs) did you say something like that? Um, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I've heard other women say this, like um, women who are Actually, who actually grow up and reject infantilization and claim their power are actually quite dangerous or viewed as dangerous or viewed as threatening to social order because they're no longer submissive. They actually claim a voice. And I was thinking about what you were saying at the very beginning of this call, um, or this at the very beginning of this, uh, interview about how, when you were in New York and you were going up against, um, for jobs, you know, 13 and 14 year olds, and you were told to lose your hips. How can a woman lose her hips? Like that's actually your bones. You can't shrink your bones. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting that we have culturally a, a very developed beauty aesthetic that is that preferences the looks of girls over actually adult mature women as being more yeah. sexual and more desirable and I think it goes back to that idea that submissive women aren't threatening submissive women won't put up a fight when when bad things happen you know
0: yeah absolutely I think the best the best way to kind of visualize the way that it's impacted society is if you look at the expansive permeation of pornography in our culture.
1: Oh man, that could be a whole nother episode. I'd love to have you back and talk only about porn for an hour. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, um, but please keep going.
0: No, no, but just really quick. I I won't harp on that because I think we should do that episode, but I, but really quick, I think, um, you know, if, if you, not that I'm encouraging anyone to go look at porn, but let's just think about it. If you are looking at porn the mass The vast majority of it is this obsession with underage, this obsession with fantasy, whether it be schoolgirl, or you know how young can we make them look, yeah. or how young are they? You don't even know how young they are. you know it's There's so much wrong with that industry. Yeah. Um, but there's this this permeation of that where they're weaker, they're innocent you know, virginity is, is worshipped in our culture and in religion. And I think it's a little twisted. Um, Mm. but there's this, this whole obsession with it that just skews the beauty that is meant for sexuality in, in both genders and the sensual experience. So, you know, I think as a culture, we have just lost We've lost so much sight. And it's not recent. Like, it's not, I'm not talking culture as in, you know, the last hundred years. There's been that, but there's also thousands and thousands of years ago where all this was still going on. It just looked different because society was different. So, you know, the objectification of young girls, the, 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 the arranged marriages or the buying of women, uh, you know, it's, it's all the same. It's just under a different political umbrella,
1: you know? Interesting. Yeah. And I think what you were saying earlier about externalizing affirmation um for me brought up some religious themes because I grew up you know saying well Jesus accepts you therefore that should be enough for you to see yourself in a positive way but that's that this might sound conv- controversial what I'm about to say but that's still another externalizing of a male figure saying that you're good enough, and you're supposed to like plaster that onto yourself, instead of it being coming from a really deep place within of self love in the healthiest kind of way. Um, yeah. I don't know if that resonates with you as well, but for me, that's like a, that was a very powerful thing to grasp that I'm that yeah. there's no external force that's validating my existence as being fundamentally good and and lovely, lovable, uh-huh.
0: yeah. Right. There you go. Yeah, that's a good word. I agree. I think um I think that there's a lot of good that can come from you know external sources, but it's when it gets when it's the priority, when it's the only thing that matters to you that if you don't have that affirmation from an external source, you lose your way and you lose sight of who you are, that's when it becomes problematic. So, I I look at like whether it's Jesus or whether it's a boyfriend acting like a functional savior or a husband, you know, or, um, an agent, if you're, you know, in the modeling world, et cetera, it just becomes, yeah, like functional saviors, the best kind of terminology I can Mm -hmm. think of to, to put it. And I, and I think what I mean by that is that you are without that external source of affirmation or encouragement, you are lost in your own journey. So when it comes, when it comes to something like, like Jesus Christ and he loves you exactly the way you are, he created you exactly the way you were meant to be, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, those are all beautiful platitudes. And I know that they are very, very helpful to a lot of people. Um, And regardless of, of like belief systems and things like that, I'm not against it. It's just when it replaces the importance of you acknowledging for yourself, your an in- inherent value as a person. And I think that you can get, you can draw a lot of that from maybe religious beliefs and things like that, but it is still, I agree with what you're saying. It is still an external source of that value. So I think it's a balance. We have to, we just have to be careful with, you know, if you, if you're going to align yourself with, with a belief structure like that, keep it in perspective because then, because then what I find happening is this is what happened to me. I grew up very conservative uh, Christian as well. And then um, I've gone through some experiences over the last few years only uh, pretty recently that just completely shattered my worldview. And it's not that I don't believe in Christ anymore. And that, and that line of thinking, it's just that it's changed. I don't, I just no longer feel the need to place all of my value in everything that I do, on something external, I don't need to place all of my value into one Bible verse or one passage of scripture. It's bigger than that, and my relationship with the Lord is bigger than that. So,
1: hmm.
0: it's a journey, and it's a search, and and um, I'm one of those people that's just really hungry for knowledge and for searching and and finding um, finding ways to to fill the gaps, if you know what I mean, like, I hope that makes sense. Cause I feel like there's just yeah. a lot of gaps in, in what's communicated to us between what we experience and then what, what we're told or what we're preached to or what's preached to us. So, um, I think filling those gaps is really important to establish our own autonomy and value intrinsically as women, uh, specifically, but just as people in general, I think it's really important.
1: Yeah, I think there's so much wisdom in everything you just said. And I I appreciate your perspective. It's, it's very measured. I really liked that. Um, mm. And so cool. I want to talk for a second about two things that have come up repeatedly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. this, this, the wonderful self-love that we're trying to point to and that both of us have you know, tried to achieve in different ways, um, that we're speaking about in terms of freedom and celebration, but balancing that with maybe going too far in the self-love direction. This is what I hear a lot of critics of self-love will say is that it becomes selfish. So how, maybe ways for, you know, keeping a good perspective in that and, and balancing self-love with, with, um, being aware of others, I guess. And then also the other thing I'd love to talk more about is fear, because I think I'm still not grasping, maybe even for myself, why fear underlies a lot of this. And we did talk about, you know, acceptance and being afraid of mm. being worthless, but why, why does the fear enter in? And why is that so antithetical to, to love in this
0: case? Mm. Where do you want me to start?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, those are, those are huge questions. Those are good. <laughs> Let's, let, thank you. Let's talk about the self-love and selfishness first. Like how, how have you okay. struck that balance? Well, I think I, I think I
0: still am. I mean, I, by, by no means ever want anyone to think if they're listening to me or reading something that I post, I don't ever want to uh, portray that I'm somehow perfect and I've arrived, right? There's not this, this destination point that I am uh, relentlessly striving for. There's not a finish line, you know, I mean, physically the finish line is death because that's just, we all face that at some point, but Beyond that, like, this is a lifelong journey. It's a process. And once I really acquiesced and just became vulnerable to accept and experience the journey as a process, it became enjoyable. It became a celebration. The drudgery started to disappear. You know, the, the fitness side of things was, and, and even like, the less appetizing meals that I have to eat as a competitor to get ready for (laughs) stage. Like this whole week I have to eat boiled chicken and asparagus. You know, that's not, that's not particularly (laughs) healthy. That's not what I do all the time, but it's part of the process. Right. And I Mm -hmm. trust the process and it's the journey. So there's ebbs and flows. And so number one, I'm by no means perfect or have arrived, but the things that I've found helpful to, to striking that balance that you're talking about is especially in my sport of bodybuilding, bodybuilding is a very selfish sport. So I'm very aware of, and I've gotten better at it over the years that I've been doing it, but but I am very aware of the way that my lifestyle affects those around me. And I'm becoming better at kind of buffering the way that it affects those around me. So it, it, it may be kind of hard to understand if you've never experienced the kind of lifestyle that I lead, but when I'm prepping for competitions dieting's very hard training is very hard the you're tired and you're nutrient deprived at some points and so just basic tasks can sometimes become very um bothersome and annoying and irritating and so it's become a very uh very eye opening experience for me just competing on um building my level of self-control and self-discipline and learning to better love the people in my life and those around me, despite what I'm going through. Sometimes it's sort of like fake it till you make it, you know, like you put on a smile, even when you're not really that happy or, or whatever. But the big picture for no matter what kind of lifestyle that you lead, striking that balance is going to be a little bit different for everybody. Sometimes it'll look more physical. Like maybe you need to love yourself a little bit more physically before you can really learn to connect and and love someone else. That's kind of where going back to like being okay with being alone and not always looking for that affirmation externally. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side of it, I think that there's a huge mental, emotional, and spiritual aspect to it as well. Like if you are not a healthy person on all of those uh, fronts, Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, you're not going to be very good at loving someone else. Hmm. Um, you know, there's there's a scripture actually that says, you know, love others as you love yourself. And I think that there is definitely something to that, and it doesn't come from a selfish place of loving yourself. It comes from a awareness state. At least that's how I take that scripture. Mm-hmm. So if you are unaware about a lot of things that are very basic to just loving yourself, how can you expect yourself to be very good at loving someone else? And a lot of it too, I think, is not ostracizing yourself. You know, like sometimes as human beings, we're struggling with something and so we isolate ourselves and we take ourselves away from environments or people or experiences that offer us love. Like we almost roadblock receiving love because we don't feel worthy or um you know we think that we need to fix ourselves perfectly and get everything lined up before we are are ready, are ready to yeah. go out there Oof. yeah yeah love.
1: I think that's true for a lot of people
0: right and I think that and that's sort of where fear comes in too is it's like don't be afraid to put yourself out there like we are all a mess we're all a hot mess on one front or another we're all learning and we're all doing this journey together separately. And so it's, it's a lot of chaos, but like learning to be patient with yourself and then finding other souls around you to trust your process with and that they can trust their process to you and then grow together, whether that be girlfriends or your mom or your sister or, or, you know, a man, a husband or a boyfriend, whatever. We are relational beings. So isolating yourself is never the answer. Mm. You for extended is for extended periods of time. You know, isolating yourself to sort of like reflect and become more self-aware is really important. But beyond that, it can become very debilitating and counterproductive. So I think just letting go of the fear of rejection, the fear of not being good enough, the fear of not being pretty enough or smart enough or whatever the fear is, it comes from a place of insecurity and the only way that I've found to really overcome that is to first become self-aware of it and then to take action towards correcting it, correcting it in your thought patterns, correcting it by putting yourself with people that you trust who can build you up, affirm the things in you from an external place that you already are believing internally. So we're not looking for affirmation from them it's just encouragement at that
1: point. Does oh, that I make love sense? that. It makes total sense. Yeah. And my very next question, which you started to speak to is why the heck do we put up with being afraid all the time?
0: Oh my gosh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I know.
1: Why do we do it to ourselves? <laughs> I mean, it. you know, like we've talked about several times on this, in this conversation, it's a lot of us are just con- consumed by fear and we, yeah. we spend, we spin our wheels on that fear and we do all this crap because of that fear instead of the stuff that we know actually would make us, um, better or like push us forward and, and becoming more, um, more accepting of who we are. And so I, I don't know. I, I asked myself oh, that gosh, question yeah. a lot.
0: <laughs> it's hard because I think in generalities, we all have very similar fears, but of course it's, it's going to be specific, right? Everybody's a little bit different. Everybody has different, different, um, stories that impact their, Personal fears, but a lot of people are also really angry, and I wanted to touch on that really quick too because I know I was personally in a place of being really angry for a while a couple years ago, and angry at what? I was angry at my ex husband. I was angry at myself, and I was angry at God. I was angry at everything. Yeah, I can was re- not I can good, relate
1: to all that. Yeah. yeah, it was it
0: was not a good place in my life, but but anger. Is an outpouring of fear. Fear is the common denominator there. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So whether yeah, whether you're actually feeling afraid and insecure or you're feeling angry, it still stems back to fear. Hmm. And I've I've always once I understood that, it it opened the door for me to be patient with myself. And I think that, that that might be the first step for a lot of people is to realize it, whether you're angry about you know something big that's going on. You feel like it's an injustice in your life, um, or you're afraid of something like that happening, or maybe it is happening, and you're living in a perpetual state of fear. Both of those draw back to fear, and we have to look at where that's coming from, and then what are we going to do about it? So I think part of it is take take action, like take imperfect action. Don't wait. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't wait for everything to be, cause this is how I am. Like, you know, me, we go back a ways. I'm a perfectionist and very type a, and that's how I operate. I'm a control freak. I like to have is why I do so well with the type of work that I do as a fitness enthusiast. I get to boss people around and tell them what to eat and what not to eat.
1: (laughs) Hey, way to know yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And I do
0: the same thing to myself. Like at least I'm aware of it. Right. And I I just get nicer about it as I, as I become more comfortable with everything. But the bottom line is like, take imperfect action. Don't wait for everything to be, you know, ducks are in a row and everything's good. And because it's never going to happen. Like, I've heard it said before, you're never going to be ready to have kids. You're never going to be ready for that huge promotion that you're waiting to apply for or that dream job that you're waiting to apply for or, you know, the man of your dreams or the woman of your dreams. Like you're never going to be ready for any of that if you just wait around for all of the external to become perfect without you taking action to make it happen. And you can't take perfect action all the time. That's a, that's a completely illogical expectation to make of yourself. And you're only setting yourself up for failure. And I think that is where a lot of fear comes in is the fear of failing. So we don't move. We stay in fear because we would it's, even though it's uncomfortable, it's familiar to be living in a place of fear. If we take imperfect action, we set ourselves up for the vulnerability of failing, so yeah. the thing is, is to not fear the failure, fear the inaction, because without taking, it, yes. with, without taking action, you're never going to move forward. You're never going to reach what it is that you're dreaming about. You're going to continue to live in the same place that you're living right now, which you're not happy with. You might be comfortable with it because it's familiar, yeah. but it's not happy like be real with yourself. Stop lying to yourself. You're not actually happy with it. So this cop-out of I'm afraid, well, what are you afraid of? Like really dig deep. What is it that you're afraid of? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of disappointment? Are you afraid of, are you afraid of success? That was Mm. one of my things. I was afraid of, if I actually took the steps that I've been taking over the last six months, what if I'm not ready for the kind of success that I know I'm capable of? Hmm. What if I'm not ready? Right? So really, really dig deep and you have to do some soul searching. And one thing that, that someone told me in, in a coaching session, she said, focus on this mantra and repeat it as much as you need to when you start to feel fearful. Here's what it is. My need to serve those I'm meant to serve has to be greater than my fear of failing and disappointing others.
1: That's huge. I think that applies to so many parts of life. That's awesome. Right. So is that what draws you to competition? And like, because not just competition, you are you you are drawn to like the most intense, crazy competition. Like I think, (laughs) knowing you years ago, knowing you years ago, so you were like this kick-ass ballerina. And I think you also did karate, right? Were you a black belt Uh in karate? So I used Uh to call you the ninjarina because you could just like, take (laughs) anybody down, like, but gracefully, you are an incredibly hard worker. I know that about you. And so is that like, what is it then that draws you given everything we've talked about? What is it that draws you to competition and self discipline? And how do you see that in relation to, you know, your relationship with your body?
0: I think it's morphed over the years. But I, I know when I was younger, I was experimenting, like I wanted to just see. It was fun. And I was I didn't have any expectations of myself when I was younger. Like when I was young and in dance, it wasn't like I was thinking about what I was eating, um, and how it would affect the way that I looked. It was all just, okay, I'm eating because I'm hungry and I need energy to go do all this fun stuff that I really, really want to do and be good at. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as I've gotten older, it, you know, it's changed because now I'm in this, this really, really freaking cool. It's just really cool place of celebrating what I'm capable of. And that really drives me. Like when I step into the gym now, it's a celebration of where I've been, what I've come through, where I am right now. And the fact that I don't live in that place anymore, mentally, emotionally, or physically of a 110 pound, six foot tall girl that was so broken emotionally and so, you know, unconfident and afraid of anyone looking at her. You know, I grew up on stage, but I was so afraid in the modeling industry of anyone looking at me and seeing something not perfect Hmm. about me. I don't live there anymore. And people think it's crazy because I get up on stage to have my body judged for bodybuilding, but it's not this it's not this fearful place that I'm getting up on stage looking for validation from these judges. It's so different. It's it's this place of confidence now. To where I can I can go to the gym and I'm confident. I can go out on a date with my boyfriend and I'm confident. I can go to work with no makeup on and train my clients and I'm just as confident as I am on stage at my best, quote unquote, with the tan and the makeup and the the $1000 suit and I'm sparkling, you know, like a diamond. <laughs> It's, it's all part of the celebration of what I'm capable of and what my best looks like differently day to day. I never thought I would be here. Like I dreamed about being here in this place of not only what I look like, but what I'm capable of physically and where I'm at mentally and and emotionally. I dreamed of achieving this, but I didn't, I didn't know for sure, for sure that it was ever going to happen
1: it sounds like what you're saying is you, you see your body now as a, an outcome of like you said, your lifestyle and your goals and your work. It's not a sign of how much you can deny yourself and deprive yourself and become almost inhuman.
0: Absolutely. It's not like I mentioned before, I think it's not out of this place of hating my body. It's, it's, it's loving my body. When when I'm eating on point or, or I'm not. That's the other thing too. Like when I'm on prep, I'm I'm on point, but when I'm in off season, yeah, I'm going to go have a burger. You know what I mean? I'm going to go have a glass of wine with my mom and I'm going to love it. I'm going to enjoy it. It's it's ebbs and flows of life and being able to celebrate that. Like I love there's kind of this tide turning in in fitness with women where we're starting to celebrate strength. I think I just I am so jazzed about that because it's huge. It's 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 showing a huge tide turning not only for the physical expectations of women or the physical hopes for women, but mental and emotional too, where women are saying, you know what? I'm tired of depriving myself because I'm scared. And it's so amazing to me to see that because fitness and, and health are turning into more of a celebration and an empowerment for women, like it has been for men. Like I think CrossFit's been huge for women to be honest with you. Hmm. As much as I have and as much as I have certain disagreements with, you know, style and and injury prevention and stuff like that, as a movement, I think it's been a really wonderful way to empower women to get over their fear of weight training specifically because women have always had yoga and pilates, well not always, but you know, long, for a longer period of time they've had those options to them which men are kind of ostracized from. Right, it's not masculine; it's feminine.
1: Yeah, no, that's incredible. And I didn't think about how significant or symbolic that is to for women to lean into. Yeah, I want to be muscular. I want to have Michelle Obama arms. I mean, it sounds like oh, there's just another standard of beauty that women have to hit. But on on a deeper level, what you're saying the psychological, the mental aspect of like, I'm not going to apologize for being strong, and instead, I'm going to see that as part of my personal health and part of my vitality and being fully alive and fully present to the world. And I have a right to be there and I have a right to be happy about it and celebrate it. That's, that's totally revolutionary. That's incredible.
0: Amen. Yeah, no, I love that. That's exactly on point.
1: I I know that you're super passionate about working with women, especially who have been, um, who have participated or been victims of the disease of disorder, diseases of disordered eating, I guess is how it would be called. What is your message to, women in particular, and maybe also to men who are, who are dealing with disordered eating or dealing with self-hatred?
0: Number one is anyone listening who's in that place right now to know that you're not alone. Because I know from experience that we isolate ourselves when we're in that place. And so we feel alone, but the reality is that you're not alone. And there's a lot of different people struggling with the same thing or similar things that you're struggling with and are afraid of similar things that you're afraid of and that there's hope. There is a way out. And even though that process can look a little bit different, depending on you know your personal starting point and um, belief structure and things like that, that there's a process of empowerment that, that we can go through. And I'm happy to take anyone through that process. I have plans to make that available to so many, so many people coming up very, very soon. Um, there's a process of empowerment that that we can go through to educate ourselves on how to achieve freedom and freedom that is lasting and that you don't need to rely on external sources to experience
1: and achieve that freedom. You can do it. Thank you. That's awesome. And so it sounds like you've got a project in the works. Do you care to share a little bit more about that? Or maybe we can announce it in a a few months when you're ready to roll.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll give a little uh, preview. I have a a project coming coming out in the next couple of months. I'm work, working really hard on it right now on the back end, but basically, it's going to be a six week intensive program for recovering um, disordered eating patterns. So it's gonna educate, just like I found that education was very empowering for me and my personal journey. It's going to educate you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to provide you with hope and resources, actionable steps to take to either um, jumpstart a recovery process, or maybe you've been searching for something to really give you um, action steps to take to progress your recovery process. By no means am I claiming it to be a eating disorder recovery, um, like registered clinical program, but it is like a self, I hate the term self-help, but, but it is like a self-healing, self-healing. There you go. I like that better. Um, program that, that I lead and it's, there's going to be a lot of accountability. It includes nutrition as well as, as, um, exercise, Planning and guidance, and and then there's a lot of like kind of what we had been talking about today, sort of the life coaching, um, mental, emotional aspects of things too, because that's huge with disordered eating. So I'm really excited about that, and um, I can uh, we can make more another announcement about that when it's ready. But
1: please do, yeah, yeah we'd love to give a shout out to that. And um, if anyone cool. wants to get in touch with you, they can contact you through the social media you mentioned earlier, right? website, Instagram.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Yep. Or they can, or they can email me at, um, Kayla, K-A-Y-L-A at kaylamichelle.co.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. Kayla, you are so inspiring to speak with and, and truly your story is amazing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you never settle for less than what you know that you can do out of a a sense of just passion is, is incredible. I'm just, I'm Mm -hmm. so jazzed. Thank you so much for speaking with us today.
0: Oh, thank you. It was an amazing opportunity and a lot of fun. I hope we can do it again on other topics. We should.
1: Cool. Yeah, we should. Or maybe we can have you on as like a, a, a fourth host for our normal show. Um but these there interviews are also also awesome because they allow us to go in depth on a topic really, really in depth in a personal way, which I love. Yeah. And I and I am so excited about your project and how you're using you know, what you've achieved to really bring others with you and to encourage them and inspire them as well. That's just phenomenal. Thank you so much for your work. Thank
0: you. Thanks. I appreciate that.
1: Awesome. So thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. Please get in touch with us at ArenaCast, get in touch with Kayla, and we hope you have a wonderful and meaningful and empowering day.